Today, I wanted to uh, just kind of dive into something that I hope will begin your year in, in, in a good way. Um, I would even say begin your year in the right way. Uh, and so as I was praying, the word that kept coming to me was a particular line uh, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, and I want to read that line for you right now. It says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 1, it says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. That's a very interesting statement because at first blush, it feels like it's belittling to the doctrines of Christ, the elementary doctrines of Christ, the basic things of Christ. It feels almost like, wow, I just... It doesn't sit right. But what it's urging us to do is to have some level of activity in our spiritual growth. As God has stepped in, he has been active. We recognize in the series that we're going to jump into that the world is active. And so what does that mean for the believer? What does that mean for you and I? That means that there is some level of activity that you and I should have in our growth and in our relationship with God. As Mika talked about, and, and, and as some of you guys know about me, I'm a very big goal setter. I love goals. I love, you know, setting these targets. And I think that's one of the things that we need to consider today is, is planning for and targeting growth, actually being active in the process of it. Christianity is not a belief where uh, in, in stagnation, just kind of sitting in this place or sitting around other Christians, you will become more spiritually mature. That's not the way it works. Christ-likeness doesn't grow in you the more you sit around the faith. And the opposite is actually true. The more you just sit around the faith, the more you are near people of faith, the more you feel like you understand the faith. And then you end up in a situation where you don't actually have a relationship with God and of a pure understanding and wisdom of the word. And so you'll find yourself when conflict comes leaving. And sometimes it's leaving the church and sometimes it's leaving the faith altogether. But it's because you've been close to the word, but not actually have interacted with the word. And I think that's what the Hebrew writer is getting into here. He's, he's taking this moment where he, he pauses because in the earlier chapters of Hebrews, he's giving a, a, a defense of the supremacy of Christ. He's giving a defense as to all of the promises that came before and how Jesus fulfilled those things, but then he stops and he says some, some pretty tough things to this particular group of people. These Hebrew believers, these now Jewish converts to Christ. And he says some really interesting things to them. So I want you to back up just a little bit into chapter 5. And we'll close out. We're, we're going to look at uh, the, the close of chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. And it reads, about this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
Now, those are, some, those are some tough things. It's like, I'm teaching you about Christ. I'm teaching you why you should be relying on Christ. I'm giving you this background. But you know what? I got to stop because I'm realizing something. This is becoming hard for me to share with you because you've become dull of hearing. Because you're not actually consuming the word. You're not listening to the word. He says, or, or what is happening here is four particular things that, that the, the writer of Hebrews is, is talking to this group about. He says that they, have, uh, they had an apathy towards the word of God. It wasn't valuable to them. It wasn't precious. It wasn't allowing, it, it didn't open space in their lives for them to consistently come to this. Like when you wake up in the morning you know, what is the thing that you want? Do you hunger and thirst after the word of God? Or are you considering where you're going to have brunch? Are you looking for the wisdom and the knowledge that comes from the word of God? Are you looking for the wisdom and the knowledge that comes through your phone? What are you looking to do with the first things? What are you looking to do with the last things of your day? Do you hunger after the word? Is it real or has it just become something dull to you? He's recognizing it in those people. And my hope is that as we are looking through these four things, that we are stirring the pot. That's what he's doing. He's stirring it up so that you can recognize that there are some things maybe in your life, maybe in my life, that need to be corrected, that need to be adjusted. When you're stirring up a pot that is sitting on your stove, part of what you're doing is you're making sure that things don't settle to the bottom and burn but you're trying to mix it up so that the flavors actually become more rich. And so what he's doing here is after he's taught them these things, after he's prepped the table, he's stirring it up. And he's saying, is is this you? Have you become dull of hearing? Do you not appreciate the word of God? Do you not value that? They had become dull of hearing and slow to learn. They hadn't prioritized actually knowing the scriptures even though they were a Hebraic people who had access to it, not just access to it uh, in the way that we have it in in a book, but had access to it by way of community access. And yet they still didn't desire it. He says also that they had an inability to teach and pass this word on to each other. Now, this is the part that that is challenging because in some cases you'd read this and you'd say, oh, well, he's talking about the pastor's. Oh, and so he's talking about the deacons, and he's talking about the elders in the church. Oh, they, they weren't able to teach. No, he's talking to every believer. So this is the stirring again. Can you teach what you believe? If someone were to ask you, well, why are you a Christian? If someone were to ask you, why do you consistently go to church? If someone were to ask you, what does it mean to be redeemed by God? Can you teach? Or do you need someone else to come back again and tell you all over again? See, this is what he's doing. He's he's asking these questions, but he calls them these basic things that every believer should know. He says this other thing that is honestly, I mean, it's, it's, this is where it really gets hard. They prefer an infant diet. He says that they desire milk instead of meat. He says, I can't even give you a nice juicy steak drenched in butter, crusted, some nice herbs on top of it, potato. I'm not a big potato fan, but. (laughs) But I can't even give you that. I got to give you milk. You don't even want that. 
You don't even know the flavor that comes in these things that sustain you. All you want is the bottle because that's all you knew from the first day that you showed up as a believer. Just, just give me the bottle. I know that the bottle works. I know that the bottle tastes good. I, I, I don't want to chew. I know I have teeth, but I don't want to chew anymore. I just want the bottle. They desire comfort in childish things more than long-term sustenance. This is what he's recognizing within these people as he's teaching them. He's saying, wait, I got to stop because this is what I see amongst you. And I don't want this to be counted amongst us, that we are people who prefer comfort, that we prefer the childish things more than we prefer the meat of God. And he says, finally, he says that they lack spiritual sensitivity and discernment. It says that, but solid food, verse number 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Not in here, but when we walk out there, do you know that there are spiritual things happening? And do you call those evil things that are spiritual good, or do you call them evil? Do you understand? And how do we get to understand that? We look towards the Word. The Word will give you that lens and teach you how to see certain things in certain ways and say, hey, this looks a lot like how Haman was coming after Esther. This look, or Mordecai, this looks a whole lot like how Judas was always around but never seemed to be doing the right things. So I can take my understanding of Scripture and I can focus it as a lens towards the things that are going on in my life and I can say, hey, that, that, that doesn't seem to be right. That doesn't seem to be biblical. Our culture is, is teaching us that it's okay to be Christianity adjacent. It's, it's, it's good to be near. It's good to look like it. And as long as you just look like it and don't actually walk it out, don't actually believe it, don't actually live like there is a redeemer, don't actually do the things that Scripture calls you to do, hey, you're good. Do we tolerate the reading of Scripture? Can you tolerate it even in your own life? I think one of the things that we have to get back to as believers is actually reading the text and reading the text through the whole story. In a lot of cases, what we'll do is we just, hey, I'm setting my timer because I know I have ADHD, and so I just need 15 minutes real quick, and then I stop halfway through the story, and I miss some critical things because I come back tomorrow or let me be honest, I come back four days later and pick up as if I can remember where I was. You know, but these, these letters, these letters were written to the church, were written to the Corinthian church, and someone stood there and read out to the whole of the congregation in Corinth and said, this is the letter. That's how it's meant to be read. That's how it's meant to be understood is in one big chunk. But do we have the stamina to be able to do it? The Hebrew writer says this, we go on to maturity. We can. He comes from those four things that are pretty negative and pretty hard to take. But he says we can still go on to maturity. Though you may recognize that you are immature, that you like milk, there is an opportunity for you to push on into the meat, into the deeper things of God. And I want to encourage you that as we go into this next year to set a goal, to set an intentional effort 
to be different 367 days from now. That when you walk into 2025, have a goal laid out that says, or or look back at your goal that says, I wanted to pursue the Lord with all devotion, with a pure heart. I wanted to pursue the Lord, and so I'm going to do these things. I had some particular health goals that I had been trying to achieve over the years, trying to drop weight, trying to make sure that I was healthy when I went to the doctor. And I would set all these things of, oh, I want to be at this particular weight by next year or by my birthday on this year or whatever else. And for some reason, I could never make those things happen. But what I ended up doing instead of doing that was setting an activity goal. I set an activity goal that I wanted to run 360 miles in 2023 basically equating out to uh, just under a mile a day. I wanted to run 300. And so part of wanting to run the 360 miles, I said, you know what I'm going to do? As a target, I'm going to set the October half marathon as that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run the half marathon. And so in January, I went and jumped on the treadmill, and I'm running on the treadmill. Didn't like it. Ran a couple days out in the cold. It was even worse. But <laughs> I kept, kept going at it. That was the goal that I had set because I knew that there would be health benefits that came along with those things, and I knew that it was easier for me to stick to that activity goal. So the big goal was to be healthier, but the written goal was to do an activity. And so I would run, and I would run, and I would run, and I eventually, you guys know, ran the half marathon, completed the half marathon. But I looked, and I came to uh, my app, and I saw that I ran, instead of 360 miles last year, or this year, I ran 196.4 miles. That's, amen. That's good considering I ran 69 miles total in 2022. And so there's growth there, but did I hit my goal? No. Am I ashamed of the miles that I ran? No. Am I ashamed of what, what has happened? No. I pursued the goal. And here's the greatest thing is when I went to the doctor, the doctor said, your health is doing great. Because what was I doing? I wanted to have a healthy life, but I put in an activity so that I would have some way of measuring whether I was going along. And it ended up getting me to the goal that I wanted. Why do I say all this? Because I recognize that we who want to be more devoted to Christ, what exactly is the pathway to be more devoted to Christ? That is a very high-level thought and consideration. But what are the things that we need to do? We need to understand Scripture. So maybe we set a 2024 goal to know Scripture more. Scripture memorization. Choose 54 Scriptures. Choose to memorize one Scripture a week so that at the end of the year, you've memorized 54 Scriptures. Choose to get a 365-day Bible so that you can read the Bible for 365 days straight. Will that in itself make you more devout towards the Lord and understand the Lord more? No. But that is something that you can commit to doing. And in the process, loving the Lord with your heart, soul, and mind, loving your neighbor as yourself, applying the things that you are reading through the Scripture, when you look up 367 days later, yes, your relationship with the Lord will be stronger because of the things you're doing. So I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to commit to doing something that is moving you towards maturity, moving you from milk to meat, growing in 2024.
Paul to the, to the Philippian people, he says it like this as he's, he's, he's encouraging them. He says, I forget those things that are behind me, but I press toward the mark, toward the, pri- to the high prize of Christ. That's something that he, who was already a learned man in Scripture, is still doing. Along the journey, after he has already planted churches and ministered and done all kinds of things, he still says, I still press toward the mark. I still am striving towards a better relationship with God. So here's the thing is, maybe you've been a believer for 40 minutes or maybe you've been a believer for 40 years. You should still be striving for something new, still be striving for a closer relationship with God. There is no point in your life where you're saying, I have achieved. I have achieved everything that I need to understand God. I am still pursuing more of him. As we prepare for 2024, have goals to mature your faith. Have goals not only to grow in my understanding, but also to have wise application in my experiences. This is what Paul says to the Colossians. And so, from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The benefits of of this pursuit of knowledge and understanding of wisdom is being with him, and him being pleased in us. That's the benefits that come along with this, but there's also additional benefits in that there is no condemnation. I don't have to feel condemned by God as I'm pursuing God. I'm leaning into him, so there's no condemnation that comes along with that kind of a life. This is like Pascal's wager. It's like, what do I lose if I pursue God? But if I don't pursue God, then I might lose everything. But there's no anxiety in faith. There's no worries if I'm trusting in the Lord and trusting in what God has given me and leading me to. There was just strength from God to endure. There was joy everlasting, and there are good works. These things come along with your pursuit of the Lord, your pursuit of the Lord. But a pursuit comes in a couple of different things. We are a people who live in a very information-rich culture. We like information. We have quick access to, to information. Uh, there, there used to be a time uh, when I was a youth pastor, I used to play a game uh, with the kids who were in the youth ministry where I would uh, ask them, okay, find where such and such is in the Bible. And they would go and flip through and try to find it and go here and go here, go there. Uh, there was a time I had to retire that game because they could just pull out their phones and be like, okay. So they could find it. They had information about it, but they didn't understand it. And I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves as it pertains to Scripture. There was a knowledge that we have. We we can tell you, I can tell you, you know, that, that as Moses closed up the ark, that he looked out and he saw the people, and your faces didn't even change. Moses didn't close the ark. Come on now. You thought, 
having knowledge is just one layer. That's the first side of it. Knowledge is facts. Knowledge is information. You can get knowledge from anywhere. Preferably, you're a person who pursues after knowledge. You're trying to find information. And you bring that information in, but then you need to have understanding. And what understanding is, is the ability to translate meaning from the facts. Like you've compiled all of this information, you've compiled it all together, but then you have understanding when you're able to look at that information and find the patterns and find the processes and find why they all work together. But after you've done all of those things, there's another step beyond that called wisdom. And what wisdom is, is wisdom is knowing what to do next, given an understanding of the facts and the circumstances. And so we as believers, as we endeavor to understand Scripture, we have to understand that first off, we are acquiring knowledge. And so at your first glance, at your first time of reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you are observing the life of Christ. You are gathering knowledge, but you may not completely understand what it means for him to be both God and man at the same time as you've read those things. You may just know that he did miracles, that he said that I am, but you may not understand how they all work together. So then you need to continue to press in and pursue understanding. But even in that, what about the wisdom to know when and when not to flex that knowledge? Remember, there was a time in my life where I had a knowledge of the Jehovah's Witness faith. I had a knowledge of uh, the Mormon faith. And I remember making phone calls to get a Book of Mormon, to get an interview with them so that they could come and I could just share knowledge, 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 because I had no wisdom. I had no wisdom to utilize the knowledge to try to get understanding so that I might be wise and share the gospel with them versus trying to diminish who they were. That's not godly. Scripture tells us that knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes you prideful. But give it some time and some seasoning and some understanding and some experience, and then you have wisdom, and then you're able to have your speech seasoned with salt so that it's more palatable and receptive to the people who are around you. So what is he saying here? Hugh Welchel, who is the founder of the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics, he breaks these things down like this. He says, Those with knowledge are able to collect, remember, and access information. But it is possible to have knowledge and lack understanding and wisdom. Someone might have the facts, but not know what they mean or what to do next. Those with understanding are able to extract the meaning out of information. They see through the facts to the dynamics of what, how, and why. Understanding is a lens which brings the facts into crisp focus and produces principles. But those with wisdom know which principle to apply in a given context. So as we consider all of these things in, as it relates to Scripture, the knowledge of Scripture, the understanding of Scripture, wisdom of how to utilize Scripture, these are important. There's a phrase, there's a word that has come out of uh, the ability to collect knowledge and just kind of inappropriately shared. It's called sophomoric. 
that something is sophomoric. And what does that mean? It means that you have a knowledge or even a basic knowledge, but you're overconfident in that knowledge and you, you're poorly informed or immature. It's almost like how our educational system is set up, and I think that's a part of where this particular word comes up, comes up is that in your first two years of undergrad, you learn knowledge, you learn stuff, you learn the basics of biology, you learn the basics of grammar and English, you learn these things, but then in your next two years, you begin to learn what? How to utilize those things and extrapolate the right information you need from those basic things. But then you go on to grad school, and as you go on to grad school, then you learn how to take not just the knowledge and not just the understanding that you have, but now you learn how to apply those things to everyday life. We spend six years of intense focus, sometimes even more than that, 10 years of intense focus trying to get to a place where we actually are skilled at utilizing the information that we have learned. And that's intense. That's at school. That's in university. That's for your job. Those are, but what about your faith? Do you intently focus on your faith in those particular ways? We teach new believers the basics of the Bible but it takes time to understand the whole of the Bible. Then it takes application to be skilled and wise with this information that the Bible contains. When Jesus spoke, the people marveled at his wisdom. He was able to apply the information very succinctly to the individual person. Not only did he have the right information or knowledge, but he knew how to apply it and the right questions and the right statements. So let's look back at the whole of the statement that the Hebrew writer gives us in Hebrews chapter six. And it says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and the faith towards God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the et and eternal judgment. So what he does is after telling them, it's like, hey, I'm recognizing that you guys are missing some very fundamental things. These are some things that you who claim to be Christians, you have to know. You got to hold on to these things. And what are those things? One of the, the first thing is understand biblical salvation and your relationship with God. That's something that you need to hold on to. When he talks about, when he talks about the doctrine of Christ, repentance from dead works, and faith towards God. You need to understand biblical salvation and your relationship with God. And the reason why is because there are people out here who will tell you that you need to be doing work in order to be saved. You need to go knock on at least 25 doors today. You need to knock on 100 doors this week, and that proves your salvation, that proves your devotion to God, and then you will be saved. What do you have to say about that? Do you know how to have that conversation? I remember growing up and, and hearing that knock on a door on a Saturday morning and hearing the whisper across the house, shh, don't let them know we're here. Because you didn't want to have the conversation with the Jehovah's Witness. I love that knock. I live for that knock. My wife hates it, but it's like, come on in. Come on in. Let's talk. And, so, and, 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 and even if you don't know, even if you don't know, 
want to equip you with something to have that conversation. Hey, you know what? I'm not sure, but let me get back to you next week. I would prefer you do that than you hide from people who are challenging your faith. I'll get back to you. I don't know, but I'll get back to you. I'll find out. Do the work. Find out. We cannot save ourselves. So this is what you need to know, that we cannot save ourselves by doing things. Good things do not produce life. Just because you do good does not make you saved. There is no amount of good that you can do of yourself that will save you. Salvation is through faith and through faith alone, faith in God. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you need to repent from trying to do works, trying to do these things that save you and trust and faith in God, have faith in God, have faith in God and not in yourself. Secondly, you need to understand the new, the new difference in your biblical community. See, what the Hebrew writer was talking to them about was, hey, you guys have been grow, you guys grew up in a Hebrew culture. You grew up in a particular way of thinking. And the way that you understood ritual washings, the way that you understood about purification, that no longer applies. And so you need to understand where that old culture ended and this new culture begins. And a lot of us, we grew up in a particular way. We grew up with a particular culture, and we have not let go of that worldly life. We have not let go of that worldly culture, and we just drag Jesus into it. Instead of allowing Jesus to drag us to a place where there's portions of culture, like family, that we hold on to because they're transferable. But there's other portions of our culture that we need to let go of because they don't align with Scripture. And so these are the things that he wants you to understand, that we want you to understand. Understand the new difference in your biblical community. You're supposed to be different. We're supposed to interact with each other differently. There was a time where if somebody uh, wanted to fight at the park, that's what we did. You don't back down from a fight. But does that apply in Christ? Does that apply from what Scripture tells us? No. So there are certain things that you might have been taught and trained by very loving parents or very loving family or even very loving community that they may have taught you before that as it comes to Scripture, if it comes in conflict with Scripture, it has to go. And the writer of Hebrews wants you to understand that that is a basic thing that you need to understand. Thirdly, understand the hope of the biblical future. Why are we doing this? Why are we moving forward? Why are we dealing with persecution? Why are we dealing with struggle? Why are we sacrificing? You got to know that there is a hope. There is a hope of a resurrection. It doesn't matter if you may die. This body may be placed in the earth, but one day I will resurrect with him. Why? Because he has already resurrected. He is the firstborn. He is the first one. He is modeled for us that we will not remain in the grave. And that if we will not remain in the grave, then what does that have to do with judgment? There will be a judgment. But if we're following Scripture, if we're pursuing after God and loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, then when that judgment day comes, I'm not worried. Because just like Jesus said in John chapter 17, I've done what you've asked me to do. I have listened to your word. I have pursued your word. And if I have done those things, and I trust in Jesus, I take on his righteousness by faith, 
When I stand before the Lord, it's in awe and love and in reverence. But you got to know why you have that hope, why you pursue on. Because in just a minute in, in chapter 6, if you read that further, he talks about having perseverance because they didn't live in a world like we live in today, where Christianity is tolerated and, and, and in a lot of places accepted. They lived in a world where Christianity was antagonized. They lived in a world where if you were a Christian, that meant that you were an outcast. It meant that there were certain restaurants you couldn't go eat at. There were certain portions of the city where you couldn't walk into. That if you were a Christian, you were going to be penalized for it. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, but persevere. Remember the hope. Remember the hope that we have in Christ. And you need to be able to pass that on because as somebody asks you about why you're continuing on, Peter says, you should be able to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. Can you share with someone, oh, this is why I love Jesus. Oh, this is why I'm still holding on. This is why I'm persevering. Can you explain those things? So the three things, understand biblical salvation in relationship with God. Understand the new differences in your biblical community. Understand the hope of a biblical future. If you don't know how to share and talk about those things, let those be goals for you for 2024. I'm going to find out. I'm going to research. I'm going to memorize. I'm going to write down. I'm going to do a journal. Maybe you're like me and, you know, certain numbers don't always add up in your head. And so you go to your journal and you pull it out and say, oh, that's what I meant right there. I'm going to encourage you to lean into your faith. Lean into your understanding. As we, in 2023, make a commitment to pursue Christ more, go out even today so that you can start on tomorrow and, and, and go to the store and grab a 365 Bible or go and download it on your phone, 365 days to, to, to be with the Lord and to pray through certain things. Commit to being with us every first Wednesday to pray together right here. Commit to something that is going to advance you in your faith to maturity. Now, I love that he leaves it out there and doesn't say that maturity is this particular thing. Because I think that most of us would just skip over anything ancillary and just go straight for that thing. Maturity is, 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 is memorizing every, every word of the Bible. Some of us would take that as a challenge and say, okay, I'm going to memorize every word of the Bible, but can you apply it? but can you understand it? So that's my encouragement to you today. As you make your goals of running 360 miles next year, as you make your goals of eating differently, as you make your goals of showing up to work on time, uh, as you make your goals of family vacations, make a goal that I am going to grow in the Lord by doing these things so that my devotion to him might be stronger, so that my witness for him might be stronger, so that I might move on to maturity. Amen?